0: You're listening to the Running in Production podcast, where developers and engineers talk about their tech stacks, lessons learned, and general tips from running web apps in production. Here's Nick and today's guest. Welcome to Running in Production. Today, I'm with Adrian Marin, who's using Ruby on Rails to build a product site to sell a custom Rails admin framework. Adrian, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, how are you? It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. very happy to have you on. So do you want to start us off by introducing yourself and letting people know a little bit more about your site?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I started uh, like being a developer for, for like 10 years ago. Uh, I started in a digital agency where I built probably like a hundred projects. Some of them built started by me, some of them uh, started by others. Uh, that's where I, I learned a lot a lot of things. Uh, then I moved on. I did the freelancing for for a couple of years. Uh, then um, I went and worked uh, on, a, on a startup uh, that went through YC Combinator, uh, the Y Combinator. And then um, and then I worked at Acquia, which builds a platform as a service services for for Drupal websites. And uh, for the past year, I've been I've been developing Avo.
0: Okay. Do you want to go into a little bit of details about? what your product does, like in terms of what admin features it does and why folks might want to install it and try it out?
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, we call AVO like the best way to build a Ruby on Rails admin. So it's a uh, Ruby on Rails uh, gem. It's an uh, engine. For folks who don't know what an engine is, it's uh, the way uh, you can plug in functionality on uh, for Rails apps. So it's an engine that plugs, in, plugs into your app And using um, a simple dsl uh, you can configure uh, your crud CRUD interface yeah so this is one of the most important uh, features of our of our package Uh, so using like one uh, one line per database column you can say like uh, i have a field which is id and it's going to be the type of id and uh, maybe another field which is a name and it should be a text field and so on you can do it like with the images badges the json columns and so on and you can easily configure your crud interface and we build it out for you
0: nice so then just to set the stage for this conversation uh, that gem that people can install that's something they just run locally on their machines it's not like a hosted admin or something like that But then for us on the call here, we'll be talking about the site that you've created with Rails to actually sell this product and, you know, create licenses and whatever billing stuff is associated, stuff like that. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Yes. Sounds good. Sounds
0: good. Awesome. So let's get into like a little bit of a backstory about building uh, this site itself. Well, I guess it started with building the admin gem first, but do you want to give us an idea of like how long it took to put that together? uh, Both things.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, I mentioned I worked at a YC as uh, at a startup. Uh, well, there uh, over there, we had to move fast. Like um, we needed to build things and validate things fast, and and then make them like pretty and like uh, dependable, right? So the first time I think the first uh, commit for this website was when I finished like the totally alpha version of Avo and I said, hey, I don't want to work. At this in the private I want to work uh, in public I want to build it in public so I want to tell people about it I know this is not finished but I want to tell people about it and I, uh, I uh, spun up a rails app uh, I just got a template uh, online uh, with some uh, pretty graphics uh, I changed the, the text and uh, uh, I just said like oh well this is an admin panel I put a put up some screenshots and it was up and running uh, it's a, I, I spun a Heroku uh, app and I put it over there. So that's like the beginning uh, of, uh, of of Avohq.io. Then, uh, as uh, as I as I improved the functionality for the gem, for the package for Rails, uh, I said I I had to add some um, some more data about the the package on the website. So uh, we started. Um, uh, we bought like a tailwind ui license and we used that uh, tailwind ui uh, markup uh, all over and uh, and built it
0: nice yeah i have to say uh, the landing page on your site looked very good and it had that tailwind feel to it for sure like those little what is that one background with like the dot dot dots
1: yep yeah, yeah for sure i think i think that's the like uh, the trademark for tailwind ui when you see that that's like yeah this is from tailwind for sure
0: so that application then, did that start off as a Rails app from the very, very beginning? And did you end up like rewriting it or just making a different one when you expanded on it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, actually it's the same app as as before that, the initial app, right? So it was in the beginning, it was just a presentation website with a couple of page, pages, um, a tiny roadmap a page with some of the features that I was working on. But later um, when, we, uh, when the, the package needed the... Um, needed licensing we added licensing to the package uh, the pack, the the gem has a call a phone home mechanism so basically when you install that package in your rails admin in a rails uh, app you set up a, a, a token that the, that you'll get when you're purchasing a license from us uh, and that token is being sent to us whenever you're using you're starting up your app and using uh, avo for the first time and then like every hour the uh, your app will ping our server with some info, uh, like uh, the license key, like a Rails version, uh, Apple version, Ruby version, and and just generic things like like those. Um, And then we we basically needed this server, this licensing server to to speak to the the package, like, hey, this is a valid app, this is a valid license or uh, an invalid license. So that's when we started uh, building building the, the app a little bit bigger and adding licenses and, uh, and, uh, billing and everything.
0: Okay. Wow. There's a lot of great stuff to unwind there, but before we get into that, let me just very quickly, uh, just ask you like, what was the motivation for using rails and Ruby to build this site in the end? Was it mainly because, well, you know, you're building a, a rails engine or a rails gem, of course, you're going to write the app in rails as well, but was there anything other considerations that you went through?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically, I had a lot of knowledge about building Rails apps, and of course, it really knows like if you if you use Rails, you move fast. Um, and initially, I thought, hey, I'm gonna make the presentation website just like a, uh, I'm gonna use like a, a ViewPress or NextJS or something really quick, so I can spin up like a static uh, static website, static page, static websites, uh, um, a regular static website. Um, but then, uh, when uh, licensing went went uh, when I needed licensing, I knew that I couldn't do that with static uh, with a static website. So I just said, "Hey, I'm just gonna keep it with with Rails uh, from start to finish." And then, yeah, that then there's a, a branding thing. How could you like build a Rails package and not use a Rails app for your uh, infrastructure, right?
0: Yeah, and then. I guess I'm about to ask the most important question probably of this entire podcast, which is, are you using your own admin gem in your own actual application to sell the admin gem?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I've been using it like from the beta version, uh, dogfooding it. And uh, I was just amazed like, hey, this is so you can spin up a website like an admin so freaking quick. I hope people love it as much as I do. Actually using it for my needs brought me a lot of joy.
0: Right. I guess that's, in a way, that's kind of almost like the Rails philosophy, right? Like with DHH building Basecamp, it's like Rails was extracted from that. It's like you're extracting things into your gem based on real features that you kind of need, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I I read today, DHH wrote a a blog post where he said, like, we're going to build Basecamp 4. And uh, he said something, I'm looking through something like this, like, I'm looking through Basecamp 3 code base and I'm still smiling. Yeah, so... I'm doing like the same thing with with Apple like um, I quite enjoy what's there
0: very nice now before we get into maybe some specifics of you know how you've built this application uh, earlier you mentioned that your gem does phone home when the application is started up etc did you get any pushback from customers for that phoning home
1: no I don't think so nobody mentioned anything about it and I I I, we do say that in our documentation we do talk about this feature and i have spoken with um, our users uh, even on phone calls and we do interviews to talk about like how how they're using it and how we might improve and uh, nobody mentioned anything like hey don't do that or uh, i'm not comfortable with that uh, with this feature so they're pretty okay with it
0: nice yeah that's good to hear because i always look out for things like that like like, I don't want to attack your gem, but something like that would probably deter me from maybe not physically not buying it, but it would make me think twice, maybe. But it's interesting because there's like Sidekick as well, I think, right? Where they have Sidekick Pro, but then like their license validation is like when you install the gem, I think it's not like continuously phoning home.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, well, uh, we do say about what we're sending in the documentation, but also or all of the source code is uh, is uh, visible. So basically you could you could uh, yourself go to the source code and check what we're sending back. So we're trying to build build that trust uh, having the, the source code available.
0: Nice, yeah, it's cool that it's all open there. Well, I mean, it's a gem that you install, so yeah, you can always look at it there, I suppose, right?
1: Yeah, for sure, yeah, you can do that as well, yeah.
0: That's an interesting uh, situation though. So. You know, you don't need to get into specifics of like exactly how many customers you have, but if every customer is continuously running a site in production or whatever, and you're phoning home every hour, like your server probably needs to take in a pretty decent amount of load to to handle that, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, we can't brag that we have like thousands of customers yet. We only have like a, a, I don't know, maybe we have forty apps in production. Uh, and then we have maybe another hundred apps that are calling are phoning home from like local host environments or testing environments. So we, we're not, we're not hit very heavy at the moment. And we are using the same Rails app for our API for like uh, licensing validation at the moment. So this Heroku, this Heroku app kind of does the job for at the
0: moment. Okay. Nice. Yeah. We'll definitely get into the Heroku stuff in a bit. but. Just going back to the Rails app itself, are you using any specific features of Rails that really helped you build this application? Like do you happen to be using, well, since the the gem itself is using Hotwire you mentioned, so is the main site using Hotwire as well?
1: Well, actually no, because uh, Hotwire was released in uh, December, right? And um, um, just like a side note, uh, the the initial gem was built like an SPA, like a single page application. It was using Vue JS on the front end, and Rails was a, was an as an, admin, uh, as an API. And uh, when we built the site, the website, the presentation website, uh, we did we kind of used the Turbo, the initial Turbo Turbo Links um, gem. But as we uh, evolved, uh, I think I I pulled out TurboLinks because I wanted to install Hotjar. So uh, right now the website is doesn't use, it's not using uh, turbo links uh, because of that, because some JavaScript libraries uh, are not supported uh, within like turbo links and uh, it's regular rails um, and uh, HTTP requests.
0: Okay, so then, but you're still using server render templates for that app?
1: Uh, yes, yes, of course. Yeah. So basically on the, fr- on the front end, actually uh, on the front end, on, on the website, we're, we kind of use uh, uh, what do you call Alpine JS. So we needed a little bit of JavaScript um, at one point to uh, fetch like the, straight, the Stripe uh, uh, purchase ID or something. And uh, we went with Alpine JS because uh, it was pretty quick to, to prototype that.
0: Okay. So then in terms of like functionality for the site itself, do you have a set up then where users can register an account, like, you know, username, password, whatever, and then they go through Stripe to buy it. And then like, do they have their own dashboard then on your site where they can log in to get the license information and like billing history?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we used to do that. Like we had the purchase page behind like an uh, an action that would like, that would require you to uh, to be signed in. But uh, we we kind of went without it. We kind of took it out. So basically right now, if you go as a guest on the website, you're going to go to pricing, you're going to uh, select your package. uh, You're you're going to have to enter your email and your uh, website URL. And then when you hit the purchase uh, button, you will be redirected to the Stripe uh, Stripe page. Uh, And then we do the Stripe billing. And then when you come back, you'll get redirected back to our website and we will create uh, an account for you, right? And then you'll be um, uh, then you'll be authenticated. And then yes, you'll have that page where you can see your licenses.
0: Okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. And it sounds like maybe you're using uh, Stripe Checkout then, like the hosted version of their checkout form.
1: Precisely, yeah, Stripe Checkout, exactly.
0: Nice. So when it came to building this Rails app, are there any gems in your gem file that you found interesting to help build it? Like for example, are using something like devise, or do you happen to use Sidekick and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, so devise is actually the package that my go-to package for authentication. Um, other than that, like I'm using meta tags for uh, the the meta information. Uh, I use the regular like I use uh, we use bugsnag. We del- use uh, delayed job for uh, our queues, uh, and uh, maybe the newest one would be like prefixed IDs.
0: Okay. So for prefixed IDs, I think I remember that package from a couple of weeks ago. I read some blog post or tweet from from Chris Oliver. That's the one where you can do like PI underscore and then some ID number. Like it basically just gives you like Stripe like IDs, but for your own actual records.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you can generate prefix IDs for your models like with a friendly prefix. So you just add uh, like has prefix ID to one model and uh, that will generate uh let's say you you add it to your user that will generate uh, uh, a unique id based on the database id so you'd have like user underscore and one two three four five abcd let's call it and um yeah that's easier to to find your records and prettier as well
0: yeah i find that pattern to be very handy especially when using stripes api because there's so many different types of ids
1: yeah for sure for sure it's easy to scan
0: so you mentioned using a uh, delayed job there. Did you weigh like the pros and cons versus using something like psychic or did you just use that in the past and it works well? So continue using it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It basically goes back to like my YC startup days like when we just needed to build fast. So this was the first thing, like I knew how to use delayed, delayed job. It was easy to implement and I just uh, put it out there and everything went went work well.
0: Nice. And for the app itself, uh, when was the last time that you ran uh, a rail stats on it, like roughly lines of code, like test coverage, etc.
1: I don't know. To, to be honest, uh, the rail, the, this Rails app is a little bit like uh, like uh, the second citizen after the package. But I can give you, I can give you like uh, some stats about the package because I I did run some stats on over there. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the package has like five thousand Ruby lines uh, in about eight eight one hundred and eighty-three one hundred eighty three files, and then like maybe a thousand JavaScript lines something
0: like that. Nice. And when it came to well actually I've never published an engine before but this is set up in such a way where someone can just install the gem and all of the assets for the gem itself get served by your engine like they don't need to worry about importing them into their like their webpacker config or whatever.
1: Yeah, well this is an interesting uh, this is an interesting thing. So basically how it works it usually works when you have an engine uh and let's say you're using webpacker for your parent app and for your engine um, that engine will have its uh, its own um, asset pipeline uh, by Webpacker. But the, the issue here is like when you're going to publish your parent app on let's say Heroku and you're going to pre-compile your assets, you will have one Webpacker instance compiling your own uh, pipeline and another one compiling for your engine. And then there's the issue maybe, uh, so we used Webpacker in our engine, but maybe the, you're not using Webpacker in your parent app, and maybe you don't have like the, the dependencies and uh, your server is not ready to to compile with Node.js and so on and so on. So that was that was an issue for us. We had customers that were using Sprockets and um, uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't work with our package. So we built another package, it's called Manifestor. And what it basically does, when we package our gem, our engine, we basically pull out all of the Webpacker stuff, right? We, we just take it out and say, hey, this engine doesn't have any uh, Webpacker uh, pipeline, but we do prepackage whatever we need in, in, our, uh, in our engine. And then Manifestor just goes and reads that manifest file that we prepacked and it will just serve those files in a, in a Rails, uh, like uh, I think it's called a proxy route or something like that. And then when you take our, our packaged gem, which is a, a Rails engine and add it to your app, when you deploy it, nobody, ha- nobody knows, like not even the server, nobody knows that we have that asset pipeline and you only have your asset pipeline to, to, to take care. Like if you're using Webpacker or you're using Sprockets or something else custom, you don't have to worry about all those assets that we are serving for you.
0: Wow, that seems like best case scenario solution because yeah, it sounds like your engine just ships with like the minified bundled assets ready to go, right?
1: Yes, precisely, yeah. We do that before and the manifestor gem just serves them to, to, your, to your front end.
0: That's awesome. Here's like a weird question. Have you ever considered pushing that upstream to see if that could get included into Rails itself, like something like that?
1: Oh yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, that's a good idea actually. Uh, yeah, I, I published the, this Manifestor gem, but I never I never, yeah, I never, never yeah, thought about doing that, pushing it upstream to Rails. Yeah, that sounds like such a good idea. I'll, I'll get on it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm not like a core contributor or something, but it seems like an interesting problem that a lot of people would have. It's like, how do I ship an engine where I have my own assets and I don't want to have to depend on the parent app having Webhacker or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Actually, the, the thing was like the idea came... Actually, the problem... Uh, we we had this problem with our users, and um, Chris Oliver actually released a, a, a gem, a package that is similar called Madman, and he had the same issue, but he went a different route. He was um, pushing the assets of the package, of the gem, up to Skypack, and then he was serving them from the CDN, if that makes sense. So basically, he was not shipping any assets with the gem itself, but everything was on the CDN. And, uh, the user dis- uh, had the same result, basically that he didn't have to like take care of any like asset pipeline for that gem.
0: Yeah, but then you're making like an external CDN call for every request, I guess. I mean, it'll get cached, but
1: yes, of course you do that. And then I think he he had to do some magic to get the JavaScript working right because I, I think he uh, they are using like Hotwire as well, so he had he, they had to do like a little bit of magic to import that um, that those files from the CDN.
0: Right. Now, speaking of Hotwire, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about the gem itself and uh, using Hotwire to build the admin interface. Do you want to get into the details of like what made you choose that? Like, was it just a good point in time where it was ready to go and it just fit how you wanted to design the app?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So basically in, in, in December, uh, DHH uh, was, um, was, spoke about like, this cool new thing, hot thing we wanna, we wanna release. And they, they released it and they, they said, okay, this is Hotwire this works uh, kind of like turbo, but it's it's so much better. And they put up like that presentation uh, video of, of, of the like the basic examples. And everybody was like, hey, like, oh, I don't want to write JavaScript ever again. This is so cool. I mean, it helps so much. Uh, I just want to use hotwire and not worry about JavaScript ever again. Because uh, from my experience, like a lot of Rails developers just like to 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 write like rails or like back end code and don't want to get with javascript itself and in that point of time when rail when the released hotwire uh, the the gem the package was built with uh vuejs as a front end uh, because uh, vuejs was uh, uh, is the framework that i knew how to work work with um, and then so I talked with a few potential customers. We had a few interviews, and we had one customer that said, "Hey, if this was not using Vue on the front end. If it was using, if it were using like Hotwire, I would buy it right now. This is no questions asked." But uh, now nah, I cannot, I cannot get into like doing Vue.js. JS. And I, we said, like, okay, the, the reviews are in. Like, we gotta, we gotta change this because uh, um, nobody wants to work with Vue.js, JS. And then. We spent, I think, uh, two months rewriting the the whole code base. I think we we did a, like a eighty percent rewrite. Uh, the first week, <laughs> that was the toughest because uh, hardware is is very cool and uh, but it does it does uh, make you change the way you think about code. It, it does make you make make you build the code a little bit different, right? And uh, the first week, I was all about like, hey. What do you mean? What did? Why did you do that? What do you mean? you load a frame, and then you have a route, and then uh, and um, uh, after a few, after a while, after a month, like we really like got into it, and a lot of things just fell into place. Like using Hotwire with Rails, it just like it's just like easier. Like if you don't need to do well, some crazy like JavaScript thing, uh, it's really easy to write Hotwire, and uh, uh, you should like you should try it if anybody's listening and is on the edge right now with hotwire like you should try it and and spend that week uh rewiring your brain to think like in hotwire terms
0: right yeah i love that phrase you said you were just like wait what do you mean like because it is like your whole mind just is like you know it explodes once you start wrapping your head around like how frames work and stuff but it totally makes sense right it's like you know if you have an admin panel and a sidebar with all your models or you know whatever like, why should you reload that sidebar when you click into a different model? Like, just that one frame should reload, I guess. Is that kind of how you're using it when you built your app?
1: Yeah, for sure. So actually, I, I think we're not using it like that, like the example you just said, like with the sidebar, where we're actually leaning into turbo with with the sidebar. But the way we are using it is, um, let's take an example, like you have a, a, a user model, right? And the user record has many, let's say, posts. We We have a a place in our, in our admin where you would click a user, you have the information about the user, like the, the name, the email, uh, and whatever relevant information. And then below, you would uh, we, we render a turbo frame, which actually makes another HTTP call. Uh, we lazy load it and actually uh, requests the same index method for posts. But we just say that we need the post for that user. So in that frame, we're actually loading the index view that we would load in posts or users and so on. But just we just say that this is in a relation with this user, and that's how we. That's one of the like the biggest usages we do with with hotwire with frames right now. If that makes sense.
0: Very cool. So like in your controller, in whatever action is loading that, you just have it scoped down to do like a where and then user equals user or whatever. Like you just modify that what's coming into the template.
1: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Actually, we use we have a base controller and then we have a real, an associations controller. And the associations controller will just read um will just read like uh, okay, which one is the what what model are you looking for? Like the the association for and then what ID? And then we just call super and the base controller um uh, uh, I'm sorry, so the associations controller inherits from the base controller, right? And then we just call super and the base controller just takes over. Like we set up the query before in the associations controller, and then the base controller just renders the page, but with that was scoped, with that query scoped to that particular user.
0: Okay, yep, that makes a little sense now. And by the way, you know, you mentioned something earlier about, and I think this is like an important takeaway around this one where you already had the existing app written with Vue and then you migrated all of that over to Hotwire. And you know, it was kind of, uh, I don't wanna say a painful month, right? But it was like wrapping your head around new patterns and all this other stuff. like. Do you want to give maybe some tips on like what folks can do if they're in like a similar position? Maybe not necessarily using Vue specifically, but maybe they're using React or maybe just have a ton of jQuery or it sprinkles of JS. Like, what was what was that migration path looking like for you?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, so there were like I think two things. The first was okay, we have to learn Hotwire and we have to learn uh, how to build with Hotwire. That was one thing, but the other thing that was pretty like heavy to rewrite was the whole like the the whole code uh, was uh, actually designed to produce some json in the end because we were using it as an api and we just needed like uh, at the end it it would just uh, need to spit up some json uh, uh, objects and after we uh, when we had to do the rewrite for the rails uh, app that code just didn't work as well right so it just uh, we just had some objects some uh, uh, um, uh, Ruby plain objects that would uh, that that would hold all of that state and that doesn't that that's not good for like a Rails app. You would actually want to have the module the model or the we have like an an AVO resource and then we can call methods on that and then uh, like get dynamic code and so on and so on. So that's why I'm saying like we have to rewrite the maybe 80% of the app because we we had to change like a lot of um, a lot of methods and what they do and stop spitting out like json code and um, and actually use those objects in the in the runtime the views and whatever
0: right so when it came to like doing the mechanics of doing the updates was it just doing it basically like one screen at a time
1: well yeah it started like that but you so we did i think i think we, we started with the index view and the index view. Okay, we went into the view component and extracted the markup for that uh, table and created like a, a partial. We started mirroring view components to uh, to view part- to uh, HTML partials if that makes sense. So basically, we would have um, we would take all that uh, we, t- we took all that markup, add it to a partial, and then we would render that partial with the same um uh, the same options that we would render that the same props let's say we, we would render that uh, view component um and then when we, when we did that we found out okay wait well, the well the table row is a little bit different and then the uh, maybe resource controls are different and the bottom are different so it was just just a deep 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 rabbit hole and we would just like go down that hole fix the thing at the bottom that fix it at the top and then that we will fill we would fill that hole and then move on to the next thing maybe the the show view and then there's another hole or maybe more holes let's say and deep dive deep dive there fix those and then uh, get uh, get to the top so we just took it like yeah maybe screen by screen and fixed whatever was broken inside
0: right yeah and then like 80 holes later you ah. have the rewrite
1: of course of course so 80 holes this is this is quite uh, interesting so 80 holes r- later we have a rewrite but we have these performance issues Let's, let's say and I, I, I could, I could I could speak about those if, if, if you if you're interested.
0: Oh yeah, please do.
1: okay, so basically um, what what we do with Avo is like a lot of meta programming. so we need to actually we, we're working with resources instead of models. so um, let's say when you're rendering like a table for let's say users, a uh, user may, maybe uh, maybe has like 10 fields or so ten columns. Uh, so every table has maybe let's say 20 or 40 rows, however you want to paginate it. Uh, and then every row has maybe 10 columns, but those columns actually are a lot of partials. There are like the the, the cell, the table cell wrapper, and inside we dynamically call what kind of, uh, uh, of field it is. If it's a text field, we, we render one partial that just put the field. But if it's like a batch field, we render a different partial that will dress that value up nicely. Uh, or maybe if it's a progress field, it will uh, render a progress input and so on. And then you would end up for like a, maybe a 24 rows uh, uh, view. You would end up with, uh, I, I believe it's 20, I don't know, about 2,000 partials. And as we know, as some, some listeners may know, uh, Rails does have, Some issues when rendering a lot of nested partials. So you would get like maybe four or five seconds worth of rendering time for each index page, and that that's like impossible. You can't you can't work with that. I mean, you could cache it, but that's that doesn't really work because when that's busted, you you'll still have to wait four or five seconds. And then. When we noticed this performance uh, issue and started uh, researching we actually uh, ended up using uh, view component the view component package uh, i'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, with the view component package
0: a little bit that's the one that got extracted out of github right like just to basically put all of your template code in a specific like plain old ruby object and it just emits html or something
1: yes precisely so when you when you generate a view component you will get um, a class. Where uh, for that Ruby object um, that has an initializer, uh, where you can put the relevant data for that view, and then you get um, you'll get a, a test file and an HTML file, and that HTML file, the thing like the thing uh, the the performance boost come, come comes from here, because that HTML file doesn't have access to everything else in your app this is where the performance boost comes in. So that has access to the data that you provided in that component. And also you have like a, a tiny helpers method to access your um, app's helpers, but then you don't have access to anything else. So this is where the real performance boost com- comes from.
0: Right, so when you had those view components set up, did it, they end up like mapping back almost to like the view components that you've had in the previous version of the app?
1: Yes, yes, it actually. it actually did. Uh, and it actually created like a very cool and um, I'd say simple, I, I don't want to say that, but it's a very cool and easy to read system and uh, to basically create new new uh, fields and new new things. So actually right now, when you're creating a field, a custom field in your album maybe there's um, there's a field that we don't provide for you and text and text area and whatever it, we, we provide is not enough, you can create your own fields. And when you create a new field, you're actually creating uh three view components one for index one for show and one for edit so actually it actually made a lot of sense for us to use it and uh uh, i I was really hoping that would be would get pushed into into rails uh as well because it's it's really cool working with that with that library
0: yeah i wonder if it will eventually make its way in maybe not Rails seven but perhaps rails eight
1: yeah yeah fingers crossed fingers crossed because actually, because actually, like uh, maybe some readers, uh, maybe some listeners may know, Laravel has the com- this component system uh, embedded into the framework, and uh, it's it's kind of the same. Like it's very easy to use, and everything is scoped out properly.
0: So going back to what you said before about you know it taking five plus seconds to render something like the index page using the embedded partials, what was the time now when you started to use the view components?
1: Yeah, so probably it dropped down to like maybe under 500 milliseconds, and that's without other uh, performance like uh, optimizations. Uh, so 10, 10 times, yeah, 10x.
0: Yeah, that, that is awesome to hear. And I mean, like I have not used Vue components uh, firsthand, but I would imagine it would also be a lot easier to run your tests, right? Like they can be faster because you can just focus on, you know, this data comes in and this HTML comes out.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I, I've listened to a podcast I think it was rails with J- Jason and um, I, I can't remember uh, his name their name but the creator of that uh, view component uh, package went on the podcast and and uh, they said like uh, in the, so in github in the organization they don't have end to end tests integration tests actually actually so they don't have integration tests but they have all of these view component tests cuz they can test in isolation that view component and um, and test whatever they want. So uh, it's, it's. I can imagine like for an app uh, of GitHub size, that's an amazing like uh, the time uh, they, they spend a little, the, the, the tests don't take a lot of time.
0: Yeah, GitHub probably has, I don't know what, hundreds of pages and probably like tens of thousands of tests, I don't know, it would be a long time, I guess, to do end-to-end tests.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, and they, they invested a lot in this, in these view components cause they, cause they even have like the view component is a package to create view components, but they even have a different, uh, package. Actually there's a view components, uh, library and they have open sourced their view components that they are using in the, in the app as a view component, uh, components. So everybody can go, everybody can go and pick it up and use it.
0: That is very cool. Yeah. I didn't know about that one. but. You know, that almost reminds me of something like, you know, like a Tailwind UI or whatever, right? It's just like pre-built things that you can kind of just take and just change a little bit to suit your needs. Is it something like that?
1: Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, you can take, like, you can take, like, let's say you're taking the uh, comments box from every PR. You can have that as a view component and you would just slap it into your Rails app and you would just give it, like, a di- different parameters and you can use it, um, use it for
0: very cool. So I'll leave uh, a link to that one in the show notes. Now going back to your app here and using you know Hotwire and Turbo specifically, uh, do you happen to use uh, WebSockets anywhere? Like maybe if a user has uh, the admin page open and like a new user gets created or something, like will like uh, accounts get incremented over like a WebSocket channel or no?
1: Yeah, that that's a good point. We are looking into that. Uh, we want to do we want to bring that kind of like live um, live uh, responses. To, to the to Avo, um, we weren't thinking about that, but that's a good idea. But we were thinking to have like live columns, like let's say you have a user or, or maybe a post and you have like comments count, you could uh, and you could easily have the DSL said uh, refresh every 10 seconds or something, and uh, or maybe not refresh, maybe you can, yeah, you can do it like push with, with all web sockets, yeah, that could be something. So we thought about it, but we haven't got the time to implement it it's in the it's in the nice to haves at the moment
0: yeah i was thinking the exact same thing even like the second after i asked the question i'm like it would be cool to have but it's like probably not you know there's bigger fish to fry maybe like if you have other features to make yeah for sure but one one interesting one like at least i found for admin panels and again i'm not trying to like turn this into like like a product exploration podcast on your tool but like if you have uh a couple different people editing blog posts or something like that it's very easy to accidentally step over someone's toes because you know maybe jim is editing the blog post now but then jane comes in and she goes to edit it and before you know it like jane saves her version of it but it overwrites what jim was doing do you have anything in place to like put locks or prevent like a second person from editing a resource
1: no actually we don't have that yet and um yeah that's a good that's a good point now I'm, my my mind is is going on and thinking about how we can fix that with what we currently have and I I think we could do that with some revision system or something but we don't have anything like that at the moment but that's a good that's a good point
0: yeah the only thing I, the only reason I brought that one up because it feels in line with like maybe using turbo streams right like websockets or whatever you can probably just push a notification now to be like hey by the way like Jim's editing this are you really 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 sure you want to edit it also
1: yeah makes sense yeah yeah makes sense that looks amazing i can i can picture it right now i'm i'm taking this down
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay and by the way uh maybe now we can switch gears a little bit and just talk a little bit more about the rest of your tech stack so you know mentioned you are using rails delayed job what about uh persistent database are you using postgres or something else
1: yeah we're basically using postgres um so the default uh, our def- my default when i set up an app is postgres uh we are using redis for cache yeah, and that's just a Postgres that we recently migrated from like the free tier in, in Heroku to a paid one, because uh, we kind of like reached the limit there.
0: Nice, reaching limits is good.
1: Yeah, yeah, precisely.
0: Now, when it comes to using Redis as a cache, do you want to give some examples of what you might be caching?
1: Yeah, so we kind of like, so in in AVO, like I mentioned, uh, the like the, the index view gets, uh, like you can render it like in 500 milliseconds. Um, we actually implemented a, a a configuration where you could like say cache every uh, like index row, and that that will be cached using like a regular like Rails cache caching mechanisms, um, and uh, we're using the timestamp from that record from that uh, model, uh, and that's one thing that we were using in in our in our app in FHQ.io. um and uh, we do use it, I think we use it as a mechanism when, from when you hit purchase to, oh no, we used it before. So before when you had to, when you could buy or purchase the license, we used it to keep, some, keep the state. So basically we would put it in the cache that you started a, a purchase with some Stripe ID when, and when you got redirected back, we would pick up that uh, session uh, that that cookie actually from your browser go into into redis uh, pick it out pick up the the data the payload and then create that account for you i think we used it that uh, a little bit more but we don't have like very like heavy redis use uh, heavy redis usage um, uh, practices
0: okay and what you were talking about before like potentially caching each individual row or whatever. That's just using, like, the Russian doll caching with Rails, right?
1: Yeah, Russian casual, yeah, precisely, yeah.
0: Okay. And then for the app itself, you know, the product site, if users sign up or, you know, an account gets created after they make a Stripe payment, do you also just have a way for people to log in? And, like, if so, uh, what transactional email service do you use so they can, like, reset passwords and stuff like that?
1: We, we try to keep it, like, really... Really like dumb and simple. So we use Mailgun as a transactional service. Uh, we use Bugsnag for error reporting. Um, one thing that we use to see what like our visitors are doing is Hotjar. Uh, that doesn't really count as a service, but uh, it's it's really useful for us to see what what they're looking on on the website. It really helped us to better um, better embellish it. Um,
0: Sorry to interrupt you, but. Do you just want to give a, like the TLDR on what Hotjar allows you to do? Like, does it show you like heat maps of where people are clicking or something? Because I've, I've never used it before.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. For sure. So basically, Hotjar has two. As far as I know, there are two big features for, for them. You can have this uh, heat map. You could say like, OK, uh, register. So record a heat map for the next 30 days on the purchase page, and they will show you a heat map where people are key- clicking, which buttons and uh, and what, uh, what content. But then the second feature, which I think it's the most powerful one, it will actually record the, what the user is doing. So basically, if they're moving their mouse away, or scrolling, or maybe selecting some text, or trying to click an element, that's going to be shown on your recording. So uh, this is how we we kind of saw like people were clicking on things that we didn't we never made them to be clickable. So a feature. And now we know, like, hey, they would like to know more about that feature. I mean, that, that's how we interpreted it. So we said, like, okay, if you're clicking, uh, if you're clicking on, like, uh, I don't know, made with Hotwire, maybe you want to know more about that. And we are doing like a tiny redesign of the website to uh, explain more about what each feature does.
0: Very cool. And just for like 100% clarity here, this is only hooked up for. Your product site it's not built into the gem that like you're not recording what people are doing for every admin interaction they have in their own app right
1: yeah that's perfect that you asked yeah and we don't have that we don't have in our uh, that in our in our gem uh we don't care about uh, what pe- actually we we would care about what people do so we can prove the product but we can't ship that in there because that's really not cool uh, so no we don't have we only have that on our product website
0: right so just a quick aside here uh, in the to- in the topic of like figuring out maybe what to add in the admin gem, do you do like ask people directly like uh hey by the way like is there a missing feature that you'd like to see or do you kind of just wait for them to contact you?
1: Well, we we tackle we do it from both sides. But we do have people because the source code you can see the source code. We do have people that are uh, hitting issues uh, and uh, they are they're going they go into source code and. Find the bug themselves some some of them tell us like hey look at this line you're doing this and that and this is why i can't do this and that Uh, and some people put up issues some call us on discord and some just uh, send us emails and uh, and, uh, ask for ask for guidance but we do uh, do interviews with our users. We try to do that. And uh, we kind of, actually, after they call us, we call them. They call us with like an issue, like, hey, I have this bug or I have this issue or I want to do this. How can I do it with your gem? Um, then we call them when, when they're available and uh, have a few questions like, hey, how how are you finding Avo? Uh, what did you do before? How did you fix the problem? And so on. And then try to reach, our goal is to reach the most negative feedback possible. Um, to see how we can improve it.
0: Right, that must be a fun conversation because I, I find a lot of people are very nice in general. Like they're not gonna just point out like deficiencies in your code, like live in a Zoom call.
1: Yeah, for sure. So some people are like, they don't want to point out, but some people, and in in me included, when somebody asks me about something, uh, well, I can't even remember the bad experience when I had it. And I, if, he, if he asked me like, what was the bad experience? i say, oh no, it's pretty good, it's okay. But then if you should drill down okay how was the install process and how was your how did your models map to our resources and did you have any fields and, and so on you start drilling down they say oh yeah yeah wait actually I had this issue okay cool and how did you solve it or uh, uh, how did you how did you make it work or did you go past it and so on and so on so you, you do have to do these interviews like uh, start drilling down and asking a lot of questions and not because people just don't want to but maybe sometimes they just can't remember.
0: Right. That makes total sense. And and now after you do this interview and you talk about someone, do you use any internal tooling for you to kind of figure out like, okay, this is the next feature I need to implement or, you know, a bug fix or whatever, like a Kanban board or something like that?
1: Yeah, well, we had a few iterations for that. So we started using, I think, um, so we started using Notion. I'm a big Notion fan. Uh, I use it for everything in my personal life. And uh, I actually use it for AVO as well to, to take down ideas and uh, features and so on. So uh, basically, uh, I was built by myself and my brother, and we use Notion as a Kanban board. Then we switched to Linear, which is amazing. It's an amazing app where you can, it's like Jira, but on steroids, like very, it's very, very cool to use. It, it supports markup, uh, uh, you can connect it to your GitHub account, and uh, you can uh, you can automate like closing the issues when you close a branch and so on. But then, if you use Linear, you can't build in the open. If you make, if you create tickets in Linear, you have to invite somebody in, in that organization and, and use that app. Uh, it's a Linear that app, uh, the website. I, I wanted to mention for everybody. So then, after Linear, we said, okay, this is an open source project. We should probably use GitHub projects, and we started using that um, and building issues, writing issues, and. We uh, even opted in for the discussions boards in uh, GitHub, and uh, we even have like a roadmap um, um, a roadmap board that we just like where we move things around. So when somebody comes to us with, uh, a, let's say, a feature requests, um, if it's something super quick, uh, we we don't do, I just do it because I just like to move fast. Like okay, I'm just gonna add this thing. It's maybe gonna take like half an hour, an hour, whatever. Uh, if it's something that I know is going to take a while or maybe I don't have time for it We're just creating an issue for it and putting it on the board and on the roadmap.
0: right? Yeah That's really cool to see that uh, you really do all of that stuff out in the open and I don't know about you But for me doing stuff in the open It makes me do better work because like you don't want to cut corners when everyone can see what you're doing Sorta. Do you find that to be the same thing or no?
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, Yeah. When, so basically when, when people come into the repo, when I go to a repo, actually, I want to see some activity. I want to see people are there. People are raising issues. People are responding to issues. How old is an issue? uh, If they're getting resolved or PRs and so on. So basically I think one of the key things of having like an open source, um, community is being responsive, like being responsive and, and just telling people like, Hey, I can uh, even uh, like sometimes when somebody asks me something or puts up an issue, an issue, I say okay, okay. Uh, uh I'm not, and maybe I don't have time. I, say, I just write that message. Hey, I'm not at uh, the computer right now, but we'll take care of that. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it like tomorrow. We'll take care of it in the next week or something. And I think that makes for like a, a good responsive community.
0: Yeah, for sure. Things like that definitely go a long ways. So maybe now let's switch gears a little bit and talk more about uh, the hosting setup for everything. So you, you did mention you are using Heroku here. Do you want to go over like what types of add-ons or dynos and workers you're using for the setup?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think this will go quick. So basically we we're using like the, I think hobby for the hobby dino for our app. We have another one for our uh, workers for delayed job workers. And then we have a Postgres that we, I told you, we grew out of it, uh, and then Redis, uh, and uh, I think that that's about it actually on, on Heroku.
0: Okay. Do you want to go into a little bit of details of what you're running through delayed job, like besides transactional emails?
1: Yes, for sure. So lately, like the last thing we implemented with delayed jobs was some um, reporting. So we have to we from the phone home mechanism we do this thing like where we count the unique license calls we call them uh, so every time a, a phone uh, an app is phoning home we create this license call and we 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 take down like the, the version number whatever the payload they, they, they send us and then this is like a, one of our metrics how many unique license calls we 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 have and we see how 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 much more we we grow. Um, And then we have uh, like, um, we we try to do some uh, reporting on uh, sites running in production for the last like 30, 60, 90 days, and we have some graphs. And uh, because uh, doing all those reports takes some time and uh, some takes some time, we couldn't like load a new page and have all of this, wait like 30 or 40 seconds to load uh, everything. So we basically uh, are uh, scheduling, we have a cron job, Actually, we have GitHub Actions doing a, a cron job on Heroku, so it's basically calling a, a path on, on our website uh, every hour, and then uh, from that path we schedule all of that, all of the, all of that reporting. So all of those reports go into a uh, delayed job, and uh, then when the reporting is uh, is finished, we cache it with Redis. So when you're going, when you're actually going into Avo on our product website uh, and going to the reporting page, uh, you're actually seeing all, all of that, all of that information cached from that uh, delayed, from those delayed jobs.
0: Ah, very cool. And when it comes to building out those reporting pages, are those just custom pages that your gem allows you to create, or is that like a totally separate thing?
1: Yes, uh, yes, they are. Uh, so the crud, the crud thing is like one of the most powerful features, but that's not all. We know uh, we know that admins have to be like, they can be pretty crazy, everybody has different uh, uh, needs. So we actually allow uh, users to create, we call them custom tools. And when you generate a tool, let's say you say like Rails generate our tool, and say dashboard, we basically give you three things. We give you like one small partial that We'll uh, we'll put on the sidebar, and you can uh, um, write whatever you want. You can put like an icon there, whatever you have like this full partial. We give you like a method on one controller, and then we insert the route to that method to that action in the in your routes file. And then the last thing is like the big view page, the view partial that will be rendered for that page. So basically, when you after you generate that tool, you can click dashboard on the sidebar. Uh, that will go through the tools controller, which you can change. You can use whatever controller you want. This is just a placeholder from when, you, when we generate it. You uh, will go through the tools controller to your dashboard uh, action, and then uh, Rails will render your big dashboard uh, page. And then over there, there's some uh, like bootstrapping uh, information, like, hey, this is the page. This is how you can co- uh, customize it. You can add whatever you want. And then you can just take that page and... and uh, it uh, however you want. So you can put in there like graphs. You can set up like chat things uh, using the custom asset pipeline because you can use your own pipeline. You can create like uh, if you, you can add like React or Vue or whatever you want to do there. So there, there's no problem like with customization. You can do whatever you want on those pages.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a, a very well thought out system. And I guess the end user then, since you expose that one controller action, yeah, they can they can do whatever they want, right? save something to a database, put up a custom chart, like whatever it needs to be done, right?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, we're actually trying to make it as railsy as possible, and we are piggy banking a lot on rails. So, we give you like that controller, but maybe you want to do you want to post something, you want to have a custom form on that page. You just create a new a new action in that controller or maybe you want to move it somewhere else. You create a new action and you just write rails code as you would uh, uh, in, in any other rails app.
0: Perfect. So now speaking of writing Rails code, do you maybe wanna walk us through what your deployment process looks like? Like starting from, you know, adding a new feature to the site or something like that all the way to it's live uh, available uh, on your domain.
1: Yeah, well, deployment is not. Uh, it's nothing flashy, flashy about that. Um, you just push the deploy with the Heroku. We push the GitHub actually. Uh, and uh, on, we, we usually push it on the master branch. Uh, and then uh, we, we can the uh, Heroku pulls it from GitHub and creates a new release and so on. So nothing, uh, nothing spectacular about that.
0: Okay, so you have it set up automated to where you push to GitHub and then GitHub sends whatever like a webhook over to Heroku and then Heroku does its thing. Yep, yep. Do you have CI there in between with GitHub Actions to like run a test suite or no?
1: Well, uh, I'm I'm a bit ashamed to say that, but no, we don't have we don't have a lot of tests for the main website. That's a different story with the gem, with the package, because that's a whole different thing, like a whole different process. Uh, but on the main, main website, we we don't have, to, we don't have
0: CI or anything, right? And then, do you then have, yeah, a separate repo for the gem where you do have a lot of tests set up, I guess?
1: Yeah, yeah. So basically, with the gem, it's totally different. Uh, we have a lot of testing. We mostly do integration testing for for that. We're using Katibara uh, and the RSpec and uh, we have a full ci cd pipeline um, and uh, like uh, we have a we like, we're also using docker to like build the gem if we want to in isolation so how ci cd works for the package is um, we're actually uh, when when we uh, when we're okay with like uh, so let's say we're creating a branch we're writing some new feature a new feature We commit to that branch. We have a full CI, we have two test suites uh, running with different Rails and Ruby versions uh, running on GitHub Actions. Um, And everything, uh, we have code coverage with CodeCov. And if if everything is green, then we we will merge that feature. Now for that feature to actually end up on people's apps, we need to cut a tag. So we are using a a gem, um, for, for that I can remember I can't remember the name I think it's called tags or something where we just uh, run a command and uh, it will cut a tag for us it will increment the version number on on the uh, the gem on our package and then it will push that tag up to github and then we have on github we have uh, on another github action which listens to new tags and that will actually build the gem that that will actually like um, use the gem like in, like for production. It will set up the environment for production. It will pull all the uh, yarn dependencies. It will compile the assets. Uh, it will only use whatever you want to ship in the gem, like no, um, what do you call it? like development files, no testing, no tests, no anything. And uh, after everything is done, uh, they will get pushed. The package gets pushed to uh, Ruby gems and I think GitHub uh, packages as well.
0: Nice. So that sounds like a very automated solution for uh, something that would be very tedious to do by hand.
1: Yes. Well, we actually, yeah. So basically, we uh, from the get go, we wanted to do like this automated CI/CD, so anybody could do it. So because we were thinking like maybe we'll have a bigger community, so anyone with, uh, of course, with uh, the right access could do it. But I wanted to do that automation. But while we were developing it. We found the need to do like uh quick patch patching versions right patch versions uh we actually we had like people saying, "Hey, I have this bug or I want this feature implemented and and maybe I would like prototype something really fast i like I talked to, to the person and he told me whatever needed to be done uh, and I prototyped that feature and then we have like this docker image uh where we can. Uh, where we're pulling the, the current like uh, the actual current state of all of that code into that docker image we don't need we don't need to cut a tag we don't need to do a pr or whatever we put everything in that docker image we build it the same way as we would build it on github with the same commands and then it will expose this uh, gem file dot gem file and then we can push this gem file to ruby gems as a pre-release version so if i want to release like a patch or something, I can just do it. I can just update something really fast on my computer. I can build that Docker image again. It will spit out that uh, that gem file and I can put that as a, as a pre-release version. And I could talk to that person that had the feature request and said, hey, uh, do this thing like update AVO with this pre-release version and test it out. Does that work for you? Does that fix your bug or your use case? And we can move very fast in, that, in, that, uh, in this way.
0: Right, that's awesome. And then your customers are like, whoa, Adrian is one of those 10X programmers, like, look at that. I got a new gem in like 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we try, we try. Uh, I, I love, so uh, as you've mentioned, I love when I talk to developers like that, and I get that kind of attention, and I love giving it back, because this this is what makes for a good community.
0: Right. Now, you did mention you and your brother both work on this application. Do you both do code reviews for some of the bigger features that you create?
1: Yeah, well, again, again with the shame, we don't really do that as much as I, I'd like to. Uh, My brother does have a full-time job um, and he's kind of swamped over there. So sometimes when I do some, like maybe a heavier feature or whatever, uh, I just add a lot of tests and I push it. And then I call him and I say like, hey, and I write to him like, hey, have a look at this PR. This is a little bit heavy, but yeah, I I pushed it because somebody needed it or fixed a bug or whatever. And so we don't do it as often, but I'd like to do it I'd like to do it more and more often actually.
0: Right. Have you ever been just working at your workstation and just get slapped in the back of the head because your brother just was like, by the way, you pushed this and there's some bug that all these customers are reporting.
1: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I got that slap uh, slap from the customers. So that was enough, I think.
0: (laughs) So now on the topic of uh, maybe disasters or things going wrong, do you want to talk a little bit about how you back up your data, like Postgres specifically or anything else?
1: Well, again, with the shame. No, we don't do that as as much as we should because we, we're just thinking like, okay, hey, this is a startup. We just started, we just did, did that, but we probably should. So after this call, I'll probably do some more uh, work on that because uh, all we need to back up is like the, the few licenses and license calls and whatever. So it's not that big of a, it is a big of a deal if we lose it actually, yeah. We, we'll we do that. We'll do that <laughs> after the call. <laughs>
0: I love how fast they went from, like, I'm not a big, actually worst problem ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Well, because I was thinking too, it's like, well, you can reproduce a lot of the payment data because it's all just saved on Stripe's end. But yeah, those license keys, I guess, are, are fully on your end, right?
1: Yes, they are. I could probably do something to to send those to Stripe's and have that as a backup, backup service, right?
0: Yeah. I'm not too familiar with that, but I guess there is metadata you can attach to a customer in Stripe and the key could go there.
1: Yeah, precisely. Yeah, they have metadata for everything. So we could just send it like okay, just a security thing.
0: Right. Now, I think I know the answer to this question, but I will ask anyways. Uh, do you happen to have any monitoring or alerting set up to where like if your product site goes down or something fails, like you get notified?
1: Yeah, so we have bug snag. So this is this is something that I was adamant to add from the beginning. So, okay, we don't have backup for everything, but we do have uh, error reporting because uh, I don't like being tied like uh, have my uh, have a blindfold while running apps in production so we have bugsnag for our production for our product website uh, running
0: okay do you have any war stories of where maybe you got notified by bugsnag and was like hey by the way like this is throwing a 500 and like what it was and like how you fixed it
1: No actually the the kind of bugs that we mostly get is like delay job can't connect to that be that Postgres and that's just like a fluke a fluky thing. Everything just works. It just didn't work at that moment, so we just pawn it off on Heroku and say, "Hey, <laughs> this, it was just this thing, small issue, but they fixed it." So now we don't we don't have any horror stories about that.
0: Right. Now that's a good point, though, about delayed job not being able to connect. Like maybe that's related to like connection pools or max connections on the database. Like, have you gotten any of those since you moved up to the paid tier of Postgres?
1: No, no, we did. We don't have. So I don't think we have that much traffic. So and but that many like delayed jobs to 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 run no horror stories there
0: no horror stories is good now on the opposite of horror stories do you maybe want to share some of your best tips and lessons learned from building this app
1: yeah i mean just start start building it and that's that's one thing that i i always tell people uh start building it on launch as soon as possible because you could improve over time like the the first day we we launched this website i had the uh, I had somebody that actually became became my friend because we talked a lot uh, on on chat. He said he came up and said, "Hey, if you use this website with www in front of it, you can access it. But if you use it without it, you can't access it." So basically, from day one, we were one foot in the in the ground to, to say that. And uh, uh i i quickly like changed i don't know it was a dns selling or something and i quickly fixed it and but that was a lesson learned that you should just like launch as soon as possible and improve on on the way
0: right so do you remember that feeling when your first customer bought the gem like did you start feeling not anxious but did you feel like wow i'm super excited this happened or did you feel like oh wow like someone bought it and now i have to make sure like everything works
1: yeah i think i was super excited that somebody bought it 'Cause uh, and I was like really excited. I like I called my brother, hey, we made a sale, I called like my mother and my father, like everybody, hey, we made a sale with this thing. Um, but actually we we kinda had users before, um well quite quite a few users before and actually that that anxious, anxiousness that um, if, if this is going this is has to work this has to work for other people I had it from the day we launched and from the day I think we made it open source uh, because one of the one parts was like, okay, this has to work for everybody. And we know like everybody has different apps and different Rails setups and whatever. And the second thing is, what if somebody looks at my code and finds a bug or finds something that I didn't do okay or a bad practice or whatever. So all those developer anxiousness was but I think at the time when we when we launched it and made it like open source.
0: Right, yeah, I'm really happy that you brought that up again because there is the open source version that is not just like totally watered, watered down, like you can totally use that in your app and get a lot of features from it. So yeah, lots of folks I guess were using that before you made the paid version.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think this is like, I'd, I'd say maybe one of, I don't, I don't know if mistakes is a good, good word, but the, that CRUD generator is one of the top products of my product the top features and everybody's using for using using it for that. And that's not a paid feature in itself. We have other paid features, but everybody's using it for that crowd generator. But we hope to, we want, we have a lot of, we have plans to add a lot other, a lot of other features that are paid and uh, we hope people will, will purchase more licenses.
0: Nice. Yeah. I hope so too. So on that note, Adrian, thanks a lot for coming on the Running In Production podcast. It was really great having you on.
1: Uh, Nick, thank you so much. It was uh, amazing talking to you.
0: Yeah, no problem. So, before I wrap this up, do you want to share any links to your site, Twitter, GitHub profile, anything like that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, uh, our uh, package, you can find it on avohq.io. Uh, uh, the package is called avo. Uh, you can find me online. I'm Adrian the Dev everywhere. So, twitter.com slash Adrian the Dev or github.com Adrian the Dev. Um, just uh, shoot up a message. Uh, I'd love to chat with you and um, uh, and meet more nice people.
0: Cool. Yeah, I'll make sure to drop links to all of that in the show notes. And on that note, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Running in Production podcast. You can find a full archive of the show at runninginproduction.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player or leave a review if you like the show.